In the name of God, creator, redeemer, and giver of life. Amen. Good morning. It's great to see you all here this morning. These words from Paul's letters, letter to the Romans keep ringing in my ears. You know what time it is. Now is the moment for you to wake from sleep. They've been, these words have been hitting me like a Minnesota snowball into the face. You know what time it is. I don't know about you, but for me, and this is something of a confession, so, you know, be gentle. Um, I've been trying very hard to stay asleep now for the past 30 years. Because it was 30 years ago this year that Bill McKibben's book, The End of Nature, came out. The first book to document for a popular audience, The Crisis of Climate Change. I've been trying to remain asleep ever since. Well, that's a little harsh. When Al Gore's movie, An Inconvenient Truth, came out 13 years ago, it scared me so much that I organized three showings of it in my parish hall, asked everybody in my congregation to see it. Then I went back to sleep. Well, I'm being harsh. I mean, I read the occasional news article. I made the correct disapproving noises at the politicians on TV. I voted. I mean, you know, that's something, right? I recycled. But to be completely honest, when it comes to climate change, I've been more asleep than awake. I've been hitting the snooze button for 30 years. Every once in a while, while waking up long enough to scan the headlines, realize once again how bad it is, and go back to sleep. And then, a few weeks ago, that 16-year-old girl named Greta Thunberg stood up in front of the United Nations and basically slapped me and all of us in the face. I hope you all heard her speech. It lasted just four minutes and 26 seconds which compared to the average sermon is extremely short, but it felt more like someone holding a ringing alarm clock right up to my ear for four minutes and 26 seconds. This is all wrong, she said in that piercing, fierce voice. I shouldn't be up here. I should be back in school on the other side of the ocean. Yet you all come to us young people for hope. How dare you? People are suffering, she said. People are dying. Entire ecosystems are collapsing. We are in the beginning of a mass extinction, and all you can talk about is money and fairy tales of eternal economic growth. How dare you? You are failing us, she said. But the young people are starting to understand your betrayal. The eyes of all future generations are upon you. And if you choose to fail us, I say, we will never forgive you. As Paul says, you know what time it is. Now is the time to wake up. And he's right. 
Well, now, you might say, hold on there, Mr. Preacher Man. Paul was talking about a divine apocalypse. Greta is talking about climate change apocalypse. They're not the same. And of course, you're right. We're still waiting for Paul's apocalypse. We've been waiting for that for 2,000 years. Meanwhile, the climate apocalypse is happening before our very eyes with scientific certainty. Paul's apocalypse was imagined as a kind of heavenly rescue, mission for the poor, the disempowered, the weak. Both Jesus and Paul seemed to think that a cavalry of avenging angels would come down on high from on high and save us from the oppressive tyranny of the Roman Empire. It never happened, at least not the way they imagined it. But with the climate apocalypse, we're beginning to understand that there will be no heavenly rescue and that the first to suffer and die are the poor, the disempowered, and the weak. Greta Thunberg is right. They are suffering and dying now as we speak. Every so often, you know, humanity has woken up to a realization that completely changes our understanding of ourselves in relation to God, the universe, the earth, our future. Galileo's realization that we are not at the center of the universe was so upsetting to our sense of cosmic security that we had to silence him. One of the most shameful moments in a quite shameful history of the church and a lesson in just how powerful these cosmological stories are that we tell one another. And now it's happening again. Once again, we're being challenged to rethink our fundamental understanding of our place in God's universe. We are beginning to understand, as Bill McKibben says, that the arc of the universe is not long and leaning, bending toward justice, he says the arc of the physical universe is short and it bends toward heat. We've been waiting for the divine apocalypse for 2,000 years and we're finally beginning to realize that maybe it's not going to happen, at least not in the form of a heavenly rescue. We can no longer afford to wait for Jesus and his heavenly hosts to come down from heaven and fix this. All of this has gotten me wondering about how to carry all of this, you know? What do I do with my anxiety, my despair, my fear, my unending desire to pull the covers up over my head and go, go back to sleep? Where is God in all of this? What is hope now? What is the difference between false hope and hope in God? The other day, a friend of mine was invited to a workshop for those suffering from a new psychological disorder called ecological grief. He kind of laughed about it, imagining a bunch of affluent old hippies trying to cleanse their auras so they can feel better about the end of the world. But, you know, I'm not so quick to judge them because at least they're facing it. At least they're coming to terms with their grief and their despondency. 
at least they're trying to break through these cycles of fear that I admit I've been trapped in. So, today is the first Sunday of Advent. If you might have noticed, we're wearing blue. It's the new liturgical year. For me, this seems like a good day for some New Year's resolutions about all of this because it's time for me to finally admit to myself that despondency and fear and denial and anxiety are not healthy ways to relate to my universe. I share these resolutions with you, kind of selfishly actually, in the hopes that I might find a community of support for these issues. My first resolution is I need to educate myself better. I started with Bill McKibben's book I mentioned earlier, The End of Nature. Back then, 30 years ago, he called it the greenhouse effect. The language has changed slightly, but the facts he was reporting on are the same as today. Rapid rise of CO2 in the atmosphere, melting of the ice caps, rising sea levels, accelerating force of storm systems, devastating droughts and floods, massive migrations of climate refugees, the only thing he got wrong was how quickly it would progress. Everything he predicted is coming true, except on a faster timeline. So it's time for me to just face the facts. My second resolution is to learn from the great spiritual teachers of our time about how we carry all of this, spiritually speaking. Where is hope now? What do I do with my sense of powerlessness? What does it mean to say that Christ will come again? It turns out, of course, that there's a small library of really good books out there about climate change written by our spiritual teachers. Pope Francis has written an important encyclical on climate change. There's a wonderful book by the Dalai Lama about his conversations with climate scientists. And my favorite so far is one called Spiritual Ecology, The Cry of the Earth. It's a collection of essays by some of the great spiritual teachers of our time, including Richard Rohr, Thich Nhat Hanh, Joanna Macy, Wendell Berry, many others. These essays are helping me to break this depressing cycle I've been in, this anxiety, despondency, escapism cycle. And they're doing it by helping me locate the blind spots in my own spiritual worldview. For example, Joanna Macy talks to this man in Australia who's working to save the rainforests. And she asks him, how does he combat despair? And he says, I try to remember it's not me trying to protect the rainforest. Rather, I am part of the rainforest protecting itself. I am that part of the rainforest recently emerged into human thinking. I find that a very interesting shift of perspective. Joanna Macy goes on to talk about the Buddhist concept of interrelatedness, and she says, when you look at what is happening to our world, to our water, 
our air, our trees, our fellow species, it becomes clear that unless you have some roots in a spiritual practice that holds life sacred and encourages joyful communion with all of your fellow beings, facing the enormous challenges ahead becomes nearly impossible. Joanna Macy says, this is all part of this massive change, how we, how we understand ourselves in relation to the universe and God and the earth. She calls it the greening of the self, the greening of the self. She and so many other spiritual teachers are helping us to find our bearings in this new universe, helping us to find meaning and purpose once again in the face of this incredible challenge. They're bringing us into full communion with other species. They're showing us a way of being that rejoices in the interconnectedness of all things. So that's my second resolution. And my third resolution is to bring some of these prophets and teachers to Trinity Cathedral to engage us in these conversations directly. Look for more information on that in the weeks and months to come. These are the prophets of our current age, and I want to learn from them. Like the prophets of old, they are calling for repentance, for metanoia, that wonderful Greek word, which is not about feeling guilty and depressed, but rather it's about engaging in a life-changing reality of God. In that turning, there is hope, there's life, there's joy. And we find our connection to the forests and the animals and the sky and the earth as the earth itself finds voice in us. Wendell Berry said about prophets, he said, somebody has to keep watch, somebody has to stick out a forefinger and raise a shout. Somebody has to call to the sleepers under the roof. I now consider myself called to that awakening of repentance and metanoia. And I pray that you will join me in this journey. Amen.